Welcome to the Weekly Notebook Review. I am Robert McGrorty. This podcast takes on a bit of a different format where we are live each week on Twitter Spaces. I crack open my notebook and review Hedgeye research with anyone who wants to learn a better way to invest. We feature both Hedgeye power users as well as some special guests that might pop in. If you want to learn more about our research, visit Hedgeye.com. If you'd like to participate in the live stream, follow me on Twitter at HedgeyeRJM. Now, let's review the data. Another episode of Hedgeye and Friends here on a Thursday night. Almost the end of March, March 30th. I'm on the uh, Amtrak on the beautiful Estella on the way back to Boston. Uh, but this uh, this show tonight is really uh, all about munis, and and I've got the uh, wonderful wonderful guest with us tonight, a, a huge friend of the program, Brian Newark. Uh, so thank you, Brian, for uh, taking the time out and helping uh, to coach everyone in Hedge, within Hedge Nation on fixed income and specifically muni bonds and how uh, they can play a portion and a role inside of uh, one's portfolio. So, um, Brian, thank you, sir. Appreciate you joining us. Happy to do it. And uh, first time being a co-host. I don't really know what that means, but. And, well, don't let it go to your head, Brian. Don't let it go to your head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but for um, those listening in again, you know, this is uh, Hedge and Friends, kind of like a spinoff of the weekly notebook review that we do or that I host on, on, on Wednesday um, uh, evenings at, at 4.30. And, you know, the, the Friends piece, the Hedge and Friends, is really to uh, expand beyond that, right? Like to go a little bit, a little bit outside of the usual kind of notebook chat. And again, as I mentioned, this 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 show or this episode today or this session is uh, going to be all around fixed income. So bringing in some special guests like Mike Taylor in the past and uh, Dr. Andrew Meneker uh, and and stuff like that, right? So again, Brian, it really is an honor. You, you have uh, shared a ton of information on the weekly notebook review, and you're very kind to do that to come on and kind of give a, a broad update of the muni bond space so for those uh that didn't catch that yesterday i'd go encourage you to to listen into the weekly into yesterday's episode of weekly number review from uh, march 29th uh and uh but tonight i mean again this is this is uh you know all about you so why don't we maybe uh give give the folks a little bit of a background if you don't mind brian in terms of uh just sort of uh not the full work history obviously but just you know you know i'm familiar with it because i've gotten to know you quite well over the last a uh, couple of years, um, but for those that might not be as familiar with Muni Guy, uh, would you mind just sort of diving into a bit of your background? Yeah, sure, be happy to. Um, so, uh, graduated college and went to work for uh, Edward Jones, old wall firm, and uh, went behind the ears in 1997, and uh, was there for a little bit more than a year. Got my Series Seven Sixty Three and learned all about you know how to invest uh, money the Edward Jones way. Uh, and then uh, I ran into uh, some folks who uh, had a boutique firm in Cincinnati, Ohio, and Lexington, Kentucky, where in Cincinnati they underwrote and bought um, municipal bonds and resold them, as well as did some asset management. And then in Lexington, Kentucky, they focused on the financial advisor to uh, the bond issuer, putting the bond together side of the business. Uh, so I took a job there. And... Um, you know, started off making very little, working six days a week, and just pounding the keyboard, running numbers all day. Um, and uh, after about five years, they kind of let me out of the office and actually go and meet a client. Uh, and uh, I was there for uh, until about 2012, and I went to work for a publicly traded firm. Was there for three years. They got um, taken over by another company. They got purchased, and that's when we decided to 
go into business for ourselves. So I've been doing this uh, for 25 years. Um, me and my two partners, we've been together for uh, probably a little more than 20, probably about 22 years. And, uh, you know, what we do is we, uh, we are a municipal advisor under Dodd-Frank and we uh, represent uh, mostly school districts, uh, cities and counties and utilities, uh, you know, bringing bond issues uh, to market. Uh, and then at the firm level, uh, in order to do this work, you have to sit for the Series 50 license. And then um, I'm one of two principals of the firm with the 24 license. Uh, so we're regulated by the SEC. So they come in, their friend, our friends at the SEC come in every three years and audit us. And, um, um, you know, that's, that's basically kind of my background. The, the investment side here with Hedgeye and me contributing. Sure. Before you get into that, it's a, it's a great reminder, Brian, of um, anything you hear tonight is not investment advice, right, Brian? Yes, yes, the disclosure. All for yes. educational purposes, all for educational purposes only. And uh, we hope you enjoy it, and we hope you learn from it. But please, uh, yeah, it's not investment advice. So, Brian, I'll let you continue, but just need to get that in there. Yeah, no, thank you for the, the reminder. Yes, uh, nothing I say is uh, investment advice. Um, things that I posted today in preparation for this are just, you know, my personal opinions or experiences um, may not be appropriate for you. And please consult uh, whoever uh, is your fiduciary before you make any uh, any uh, decisions of that type. Um, but, uh, you know, my, uh, my participation in, in Hedgeye is really just me, um, you know, managing the family portfolio and just trying to give back and uh, teach people about uh, kind of a niche business that not really many people know about. And um, it's, uh, it's very rewarding to, you know, help a school district uh, build, you know, finance and build a school and and then be there for the groundbreaking and be there for the dedication and all the work that goes into it. But, you know, it's another thing to be on the other side where you're somebody who's actually buying that bond and receiving that, that, uh, that single double or triple tax free income. Uh, but uh, uh, in terms of what we do, just so you guys have an understanding of how we look at things, maybe a little bit differently than, a, than an investor, you know, we give advice to um, as it, as it uh, relates to issuing the securities the structure, the timing, the term, the terms of the issuance, uh, any other type of municipal product, investment strategies, credit rating management, post-sale continuing disclosure obligations. And then we, of course, monitor all their uh, debt for refinancing opportunities. So a lot of my um, you know, investment theories or things that I do revolve around um, my experiences with issuing the debt and then refinancing the debt and trying to find you know, opportunities that, um, uh, you know, may or may not prove to be fruitful, um, you know, over, over a, a longer term um, duration. So that's really kind of what we do um, as a municipal advisor. And that's, um, um, you know, why I'm kind of trying to help people understand municipal bonds and uh, help people figure out whether or not they have a place, um, you know, in your, uh, in your process. Is that, uh, is that, uh, yeah, that so, get the points, Robert? Yeah, no, it's uh, w yeah, w wonderful rundown. And Brian, just again, just for those that may not be as familiar with sort of the, the process that goes into the, you know, creating kind of a, a, a beauty bond offering. Do you mind just expanding a little bit on, I know you mentioned kind of where you, where you specialize in, in, in regards to, in that arena of the business, but so just sort of some of the, 
the, the nuances or some of the, the I guess, the, the steps that go into uh, not only sourcing a deal, but then kind of getting it to market and, and how maybe that interaction. Um, again, we don't have to get too much into the nitty gritty, but just high level. Just give some, yeah, some background. Um, I, I can just, uh, I'll just talk about the last deal I did. So uh, either, about two weeks ago, I sold uh, 20 and a half million for a South Carolina school district. And so we have a, a capital plan um, that, uh, you know, they produce an update annually. We look at it and then we map out and strategize how each year we can issue, um, go to the capital markets and issue debt and uh, show them on a year by year basis, um, you know, how much money they would get, you know, per year. And then they work it into the, the opposite side, the expenditure column and making sure that they have continuity in terms of uh, their overall building program, whether it's, you know, painting an existing building or building uh, a brand new building. Uh, and then in terms of issuing the debt, the, uh, the school district in this example, they would adopt uh, what's called a bond resolution. It is uh, prepared by um, a legal counsel or bond counsel. Once they uh, adopt that, then uh, bond counsel becomes disclosure counsel and they produce an official statement or a prospectus. Um, we have a, a, a small role in the prospectus in that we provide you know, all the numbers and all the aggregate debt service type of uh, uh, information. We then send that up to uh, Moody's Investor Service and or uh, Standard and Poor's, uh, and we have contacts there. We schedule uh, a call. Uh, we then have a, a call with the, uh, with the issuer. We get questions ahead of time, and then we go over a full credit makeup um, you know, of, the, of the school district in this example. And then the rating agency, about seven days later, will issue uh, an underlying credit rating. And then uh, in the state of South Carolina and other states, and I've posted about this before, there is a, a state school enhancement programs. So in South Carolina, there's a, um, an additional um, program that uh, if uh, anyone does not make their bond payment, then the state treasurer advances funds. So that, uh, that program actually has its own credit rating as well. And so two ratings are then issued. They are put on the official statement. We then post the official statement seven days before um, the competitive bid or the sale date. Uh, it goes out over a, an internet platform called iPrio. And um, uh, all the you know, large institutions and small institutions across the country sign up to bid. And, uh, and then on a, uh, usually it's 11 a.m. But so on 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, we usually don't sell bonds on Monday and Friday. We accept bids. Uh, and then um, you know, the lowest uh, true interest cost wins. And then we uh, take the interest rates that we receive, both coupons and yields. We resize the bond issue so it meets the overall plan send it to the underwriter for sign-off, they sign off on it, and then we move towards closing. And about two weeks later, sometimes three weeks later, we physically close the bond issue. The money is, uh, is wired to the county treasurer if it's a general obligation bond uh, or a trustee if it's a non-general uh, obligation bond. And then the issuer uh, completes their project. And, that's, uh, and then we kind of repeat next year if it's an annual issuance type client or some of our smaller ones, it might be every three years that we go to market. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of sector pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actionable ideas on Wall Street. Go to the products page on Hedgeye.com to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. That's kind of the process. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Really helpful. I appreciate it. And, and hopefully those listening in, that gives you just like a little bit of a background in terms of what, what Brian does on a regular basis and, and how he interacts with the, the mini bond space uh, from an issuance standpoint. So uh, why don't we pivot here and, and rotate back to kind of where uh, many here on the call uh, certainly kind of, uh, I guess, spend a bit more time on uh, or and that's actually how you kind of um, can leverage sort of mini bonds and, and uh, that kind of thing inside of the portfolio. I know you've got a couple um, couple topics that you'd like to hit that you sent over to me ahead of time. So uh, first of all, thank you very much for that. Incredibly helpful. Uh, but secondly, um, you know, if you don't mind, maybe we could uh, first tackle the uh, kind of sort of how you come about or how you've created your your goals. So I see David Salem's listening in. He's kind of, kind of so thank you for for taking that time, David. Uh, and he he recently he and I recently sat down and. Uh, and covered a topic called getting st- structured for investment success, right? So I think, you know, it's, it's brilliant to see that you have a similar uh, mindset in terms of how you tackle uh, the mini bond space, uh, Brian, because it's, a, it, it's, it's really a, a trending theme. So for anybody who's listening in, having a structure, having some goals in place is really how you do this successfully, right? Whether you're, uh, to, to your point, Brian, you know, wh- whether you're, you're Brian and, and you're, you're, you're tackling the mini bond space for the last 25 plus years, or you're, you're, you're David and you're, you've been the, on the endowment side and, and managing a fund uh, for, you know, again, 20 plus years as well, you know, probably closer to 30, to be honest. But uh, my point is, is that, you know, mimicking these mindsets are really great investors and people that have had uh, a long lifespan in doing what they're doing and, and the specialization is really brilliant. And hopefully that's what, you know, those listening in will take home from this conversation with Brian and many others to come. But uh, so, so Brian, um, I'll stop talking and I'll pass the book back over to you about some of those goals and, okay. and, and that kind of thing that you set and, and how you think about the muni space and, or sorry, structuring muni, munis inside of your uh, A portfolio. It doesn't have to be yours. Sure, sure. So, um, you know, first of all, um, you know, we're talking about fixed income, but we're going to focus on, you know, tax exempt municipal bonds. So, if you have money in, a, in an IRA and you try to buy a municipal bond on Fidelity, it's going to pop up and say not eligible because there's no reason to have a tax-free security in, in a, um, a tax-deferred or a tax-free uh, account. Um, I just happen to find myself where I'm a little bit lopsided where you know, I've, I, have, I have IRAs, but I have uh, more in non-IRA accounts. So um, you know, the tax exempt bonds play a, a pretty big role just for me individually, um, just the way that uh, things kind of have played themselves out. So without getting into percentages and things, as Robert and I did talk about that, um, you know, I, I just have a need to find a very tax efficient solution for um, investments, uh, investment or investment dollars that are sitting in, um, you know, non IRAs and taxable accounts. And, um, you know, tax exempt munis uh, play a big role uh, in terms of, you know, goals and objectives. Um, this is me putting on the, the investment municipal advisor hat, but then uh, trying to take advantage of, you know, what I'm thinking on that side. But, but finding an opportunity maybe on the individual investor side. And, and I'm not going to say it's easy. You, you do have to hunt and you do have to, to work. And it took me quite a while last year to build out where I'm at um, currently because we, you know, rates did shoot up quite a bit last year, but you know, my basic goal and objectives when I buy a tax-free bond is I want to buy the longest term 
bond that I can get at the highest yield. That's my first criteria. Secondly, I want to have the highest probability that the bond is refinanced at the call date. And what that means is when you issue a bond in that prospectus, it'll say the bonds are not eligible to be called for the first, say, seven years or eight years or nine years or 10 years. It used to always be 10 years. And then there were some federal tax changes that um, put financial advisors in a position that sometimes we will do a seven year for specific reasons. But um, 10 year par call is, is kind of the standard bread and butter. So the first 10 years cannot be refinanced and then 10 years and out, you can be refinanced at any time. So um, when I buy bonds, right, if I buy in the the 20 year space or I buy in the 25 year space or the 30 year space, then um, I'm going to assume that every year that say it's 20 year bond after a year, it's now a 19 year bond. And after two years, it's an 18 year bond and so forth and so on. So eventually that 20-year bond becomes a 10-year bond, right? And um, it's eligible to be refinanced out. So when I look at um, uh, buying bonds, I want to find and thread that needle where I'm going to buy a bond that is currently pricing to maturity. That means the probability that it gets called early is is, um, less than the probability that it goes to maturity. That's my first criteria. Um, and then, you know, secondly is, is, is the, the highest yield. Um, and then what I do is as I buy bonds, right. And, and we can go through and, uh, the two examples that I posted is you, you know, add your first position and your second and your third and your fourth and your fifth and your sixth, you know, you're creating a cash flow stream. And so you would then, you know, kind of aggregate all of these, um, uh, individual bond cash flows to come up with, um, your cash flow stream. And one of the things that I do before I start is I come up with what I want to uh, earn per month. And then I times that by 12 and then I divide it by uh, 0.04 for 4%. And that. Um, so a couple of pieces there just to rehash. So number one is, you know, when the bond comes out for, for bid or for, for purchase, I always try to buy the longest term at the highest yield. I try to buy right now a 4% coupon as opposed to a, a 3% coupon or a 5% coupon. And the reason is, is because right now, um, where, the, where the yield curve is, that bond is not expected to be refinanced at the call date. But in, in, uh, in January, it was when rates were a little bit lower. So rates have come up a little bit. So 4% coupons, kind of that toggling point between the assumption it gets called in early and not the assumption that it gets called in early in terms of how it's priced. And then um, my goal is to buy that 20 plus year bond, but then get paid off um, early at that first eligible call date, which is usually um, – 10 years out. So that is, that's my goal and objective in terms of buying a bond. Now, when I go out and I look for a bond, I have an underwriting criteria that is very narrow and very conservative. So first is I only like to purchase essential service credits. And if you look at, say, Fidelity and you go into their municipal bond area and you look at their criteria, there is going to be an area where it's called use of proceeds. So, you know, where is the money going? 
And on fidelity, they have nine options. They have agricultural, uh, education, government, hospitals, housing, industrial development, recreation, transportation, and utilities. I narrow those nine down to only three areas. I'm only interested in education, which is going to be mostly public school K through 12 because of the state intercept programs that exist mostly. Uh, number two is uh, government, mostly local general government, which is going to be your courthouse project or a detention center project or a judicial center type project. And then utilities, right? That's flushing your toilet, whether you want the water side or you want the sewage side. So those are really kind of the three areas that I focus on. Um, oddly, when you look at funds, and we'll talk of funds a little bit later here, you know, there is really no essential service only fund out there. I have searched and searched and searched. And that's another reason that I, um, you know, have built out my own municipal bond portfolio by myself, as opposed to buying a fund. Um, that's, there's, there are funds that there's one fund that's kind of close to it, but it's not um, essential service only. So when you go out and, and you look at the various funds, you'll notice that none of them will say that they only purchase you know, education, local government, and utilities. They, they just don't exist. Um, my underlying rating, I typically like a single A category or higher. If it's a school bond, I typically like the state um, enhancement programs. Again, Fidelity has a, a PDF file. You can just type in um, uh, uh, you know, school district credit enhancement PDF of Fidelity, and it will it will automatically show up in your search engine and it will list all the states that have the program and what the rating is. And it's all about state money being sent to the school districts, being intercepted and make it a bond payment if there's a deficiency. Um, if bond insurance is available, so a bond insurance company, there are two in the country that typically do most of the business, uh, Build American Mutual and Assured Guarantee. So the short for BAM and AGM. They're rated double A. So if you have an underlying rating of single A and it's wrapped with bond insurance, there will be an additional rating of double A. So that's another layer of protection. Uh, and then that coupon, right? Right now I'm targeting 4%. But last year in Q3 and Q4, I was able to buy some uh, Kentucky school bonds at four and a half that were pricing to maturity, not the early call. So you kind of got to watch uh, on the coupon side. I saw a bond issue today. On Fidelity at uh, four and eight, so that's four point one two five, and it was pricing to the early call, not to the maturity. And I didn't want to pay up for it, so that wasn't a bond that I'd be interested in. On a yield side, um, I have been typically buying at four and a quarter and higher. That all started last year as the Fed started hiking rates and uh, munis uh, really kind of lost a bid. We started seeing uh, uh, four and a quarter pop up. I bought a lot of bonds at. Uh, four and a quarter. And then we had a period of distress in, uh, in Q4, the beginning of Q4, where I bought some bonds in the secondary, some odd lots at like a 490. Um, and, and was quite surprised that I was able to buy the same credits at a 490. And, uh, and then lastly, again, when I look at the bond pricing on Fidelity, uh, you know, it'll, in whatever platform, and it shows you the price, they'll price it two ways. They'll price it to maturity and they'll price it to what they call the worst, which is going to be the early call. And if they're equal, that means it's pricing to the maturity date. And um, if it's a 5% coupon bond, I can guarantee you it's going to price the call date. And if it's a 3% coupon bond, the opportunity to, for that to be refinanced is very low. Therefore, it's going to price 
to the maturity date. The odds that it gets called um, is, is, is very, very low. And then lastly, uh, in terms of buying an individual portfolio as opposed to buying a fund, um, I typically um, you know, try and always want to own five to 20 individual bonds or credits and for a little bit of diversification purposes. And then on the sizing, and I get a lot of questions about sizing, um, you know, the, the perfect size position is $100,000 or 100 bonds. And the reason is, is that if you ever wanted to resell it, you got to understand the person that's on the other side. When, when you hit sell on Fidelity's website and um, you tell them to sell the bond, they actually send that out over a platform and they'll take bids for uh, a number of hours from all kinds of secondary market players. And then they'll present you with the best, um, the best bit, uh, and you can either accept it or reject it. So if you're on the side of buying that bond from you and then reselling it to clients, if it's only you know one five you know five five thousand bond uh, increment, you know there's not a whole lot of money for them to be to make there. So you gotta, it, there's got to be enough size. So you know the hundred thousand is is kind of the the block size that's the best. Not everybody's going to buy, you know. A, five $100,000 positions or $2,100,000 positions. So in, in that case, I would say, you know, $25,000 increments is great to be at as well, but you can always look at it as I can have a bunch of small odd lots and then have an anchor position. So your anchor position would be one that is of, Hey, I, you know, I may, I don't plan on ever selling any of these bonds. They're all hold to maturity. But if I ran into a situation where I did need to, you know, unload it, this would be the position I would, because it's of size where I might get a little bit better bid than if it's um, something that's just a little bit less attractive. So that, that's kind of the criteria that I look for when, I am, uh, when I'm purchasing um, a bond. And I have an example that I can um, run through, Robert, if, if you'd like me to next, that I tweeted out earlier today called Munispace, Munispace is number one. Perfect. So I, um, I put that up in the nest. So for those listening in live on the spaces, you can just kind of pull that down. It's on the nest. It's actually on the far right. So it was the first one. I accidentally did it in reverse order. So apologies, everyone. Um, but I, I put up a couple uh, little um, you know, tweets from, from Brian over the last two days. Uh, but that Muni space number one is there as an example where you can go to his um, his uh, profile. It's there. I've re- retweeted it. So, uh, yeah, Brian, why don't you go ahead and okay. do that? Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for deep dive investing analysis, our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager-in-chief, Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40-plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high-conviction, long-and-short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to the products page on hedgeye.com to subscribe and tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Uh, before we get into that, though, I, I, think, I, think, I think one important thing to note, though, is as, uh, for those that are either building out a, a new portfolio inside of the muni space or, um, or adding to their portfolio, uh, obviously, yeah, being price conscientious and, and not not paying up for something or paying something for what we would call the top end of the risk range is incredibly important. So being uh, conscientious as to what makes sense and, and what 
kind of, uh, I guess, additional bonds you might need uh, or you would like to um, add to, to one's portfolio, to, to whether you're creating it for uh, an aggregate for your RIA or individually as, as, as an individual person, an individual investor. Um, you know, that four and a quarter is, is a great threshold at the moment to be kind of um, uh, to be aiming for. But at the same time, if if the bond market, you know, if the move starts to get, you know, move down into more of the, you know, investable bucket or certainly back towards like the $100, 100 level, uh, you know, that the the curve may be look a little bit different than what when Brian was building out his portfolio in kind of Q4 2022 and, and earlier this quarter as well. So just be conscientious of that. You know, if you don't get four and a quarter, it doesn't mean that you're building a shit portfolio. It just, you know, different times, can, you know, provide you with different opportunities. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of call that out. Yep, not a problem. So um, so looking at Munispace's number one tweet, uh, there are three uh, pictures that I attached. And so the first one is the, at the top, it says official statement. And I've, I've highlighted in, in red boxes some key features of the cover page of the official statement. So the credit is Woodford County, Kentucky. So that's actually adjacent to where I live. So I live in Fayette County, Kentucky. Next door is Woodford County, Kentucky. And Woodford County is a, um, it's a very wealthy county. Uh, a lot of your Kentucky Derby winning horses are, uh, are born there. And, you know, then they're resold at, uh, at Keeneland race, at Keeneland race course sales. And then they, uh, you know, they race. Them. So, uh, it's a, it's a good credit, right? It's just a very strong, wealthy area, uh, as my, you know, my, my first, um, my, my first look at, at a credit. Uh, the, the, the second thing after I kind of look at the name is at the top right, we have the ratings, right? So the rating of the school district, the A1 underlying rating, that is its own individual credit rating. And so the categories are AAA is the highest. And then you have three categories, you have three notches within the AA category. So you have AA1, AA2, and then the bottom would be AA3. And then you move into the single A category. So a1 is the top of the A category. A2 is the middle. A3 would be the, the bottom. And then after the single A category for Moody's, you get into the BAA category. So BAA1, BAA2, BAA3. Lower than that, you get out of what we call investment grade. So um, you really uh, uh, do not want to be below investment grade. As an issuer, you definitely do not want to be below investment grade, um, especially in quad four. You get crushed in a quad four environment environment. So when you hear on the macro show or, you know, ETF pro or RTA is when they short JNK, you know, that that's getting out of the, uh, you know, those are credits that are looking to potentially be in the uh, junk category and they're going to have some problems. So this clearly is a strong credit. It's a single a one on its own. Then the a one Moody's enhanced rating that is that state intercept program that I was talking about. So the school district, like all school districts, receive state funding. And that state funding can be intercepted where the state would receive notice that they need to not send it to the school district because they need to cure a shortfall in a bond payment and reroute those funds away from the district to make the uh, bond uh, the bondholders whole while the school district figures out you know, what happened. And then lastly, if you kind of look down at the bottom, you'll see the logo BAM. This bond actually is insured by Build America Mutual. And so there's a third rating attached to this bond. It's a double A rating from S&P. 
Um, so there's three ratings in total. You've got the underlying rating of A1. You've got the state uh, uh, school enhancement rating of A1. And then you've got this wrapped with bond insurance as well um, that took it to the AA category. You see bonds like this that are $73 million, uh, get insurance because remember last year when things were a little dicey, you know, people were scared, right? So retail likes insurance. It helps liquidity, um, especially on a $70 million Kentucky County uh, bond issue where it's their largest bond issue. So um, the second pieces that I wanted to point out that I highlighted is every official statement will say when the first interest payment is. So I bought this when they sold it as a new issue, not in the secondary market. So when I'm looking at it, I'm looking at the closing date, um, which is at the bottom. The bottom box says delivery the bonds expected August 3rd. So that's the delivery date. So August 3rd, money changes hands. And then the first interest payment date would be on uh, February 1st that I highlighted. And then I actually bought multiple maturities of this bond issue, but I highlighted the farthest out. So, um, and I actually did a tweet where I, uh, there were five bonds of 2052. Someone put up for sale and I bid, this is the second day in a row that I bid them and I didn't, they didn't take my bid. So I'm going to bid them every single day until I wear them down. But, um, uh, so you can see that there was uh, 8,855 bonds available that matured August of 2052. The coupon was a 4% to yield a 4.28. And then that computes to a price of 95 spot 294. And that's also, you can convert that to a percentage. So it's 95 spot 294% of 100. So it's a little, it's what we call a discount bond. And so how does that work? Well, first, um, any day you want to see a bond that you own, uh, the second is the second um, um, pictorial is from a website called EMMA, E-M-M-A. It is operated by the MSRB, uh, Municipal Securities Rulemaking Board. That is an entity that creates all the rules that govern my firm and, and what I do for a living. Uh, but they have a, a retail-friendly website that they created so that the municipal bond, mar bond market wouldn't be this opaque market that you could never get information on. So they created this um, from the fees that we pay, and um, it's free. And you can type in Google Emma MSRB. You'll go to the website. And you can type in the QCIP number of the bond, which is on the left-hand side. And I, I've circled the bond in red that uh, we highlighted on the official statement um, that I own. And I can actually go in and I click that on the website. I can see all the trades. I can see the trade that I would, I bought the bond at. I mean, that would be on there as well. So this, this is, this website has so much information, um, all the continuing disclosure requirements, putting their audits out there, a certain operating information. It's all required to be under that tab called continuing disclosure. And this entire website has been created really for the retail investor to have the same level of access that an institutional investor would have. So that is the second um, uh, pictorial. And then the third is the cash flows. So this is kind of what's dear to my heart in terms of fundamental analysis. And that is a bond is nothing more than a cash flow stream. And if you start with that premise and you when you decide that, hey, this bond meets my criteria, whatever that might be for you, if you simply put it on a spreadsheet, you will understand more about the bond and how it works than 
most people would just reading. So at the top, I've identified four columns, the date, principal, coupon, interest, total, cash flows to maturity, cash flows to first call date. So the first box area, right, on that official statement, I identified that the closing date or the settlement date was August 3rd. So that's listed there. And if you scroll across, if I purchased $100,000 or hundred, I'm sorry, 100,000 par amount of bonds at 95 spot 294, I would have to cut a check for $95,294. And then beginning on February 1st, 2023, I would receive my first interest payment of not a full, um, not a full 180 days. So it'd be $1,978. And then on August 1st of this year, I would receive my second payment of $2,000. And then that would continue on, right? It's simply 4% times $100,000 is $4,000 a year. And so you get paid twice a year. Now, two things can happen. Uh, I, I can get paid off early at that first call date that I highlighted on August 1st, 2032. Or I can get paid off at the final maturity date, which would be August 1st, 2052. Or I actually could get paid off anywhere in between because the first call date starts on August 1st, 2032. But the issuer may find themselves in a position that interest rates aren't favorable to refinance. So they wait and maybe in 2036, they hit a interest rate pocket that makes sense to refinance the bond. They could do it then. But when we talk about the yield to maturity in Excel, there is a formula called XIRR or internal rate of return, the X just simply uses the dates for a more accurate calculation. What you're basically doing here using that formula under the cash flows to maturity is you're saying on the negative, if I give you the minus $95,294, and then you give me on these dates, $1,978, all the way to final maturity on August 1st, 2052, $102,000. What is my total net return? What is the internal rate of return? That would compute to 4.322%. That is really the time value of, of the cash flows being more accurate. And the, so the years to pay off is 30 years in the future. The stated yield right on the cover page, the way we do bond math, is 4.28%. But this is a tax-free bond. So looking at the federal tax bracket of 37% and then a Kentucky uh, state bracket of 5%, we're actually reducing it right now, then it would compute to a taxable equivalent yield of 7.38%. So if you're in a tax situation where you're in a high federal bracket and you're in a state that has a decent state income tax, you can compute your taxable equivalent yield and say, hey, does 7.38% is it fundamentally make a difference in my life and you know for for me on a on a risk adjusted basis when you look at municipal bonds i was on a jp morgan call you know the default rate for municipal bonds that includes everything is 0.2% so what's their default rate for you know the small education government and utility section that i'm only interested in it's, you know, most likely less than that. So, you know, if I bought Berkshire Hathaway stock 
And at the end of this year, I decided to sell it and I made 7.38% and the capital gain wasn't uh, protected. It was just, you know, ordinary income. Um, you know, I took a lot of risk in order to get to a net of, you know, 4.28% after taxes. Here, I'm taking very little risk and I'm going to receive 4.28%. Um, however, the taxable equivalent yield, right, what I would need to go look for in a CD or some other risk on asset, uh, or I should say a risk on asset, would be equivalent to 7.38%. But that is not my goal, right? My goal in my criteria is I'm trying to thread that needle where I have a 4% coupon, and I'm hoping that I, re- I hit an interest rate cycle where I bought the 30-year rate, but I'm going to get paid off in 10 years. And so I did the cash flows to the call date. It's the same computation. The only difference is the time value of money. I get paid off on 8-1, 2032 in 10 years. And if you look, the internal rate of return, because you're receiving uh, your principal back a little bit early and that little bit of capital gain, just a little bit less than 4%, the difference between the hundred and the ninety five thousand two ninety four that's actually a capital gain uh, my internal rate of return is four point six four sorry four point six four one percent but I only got that bond for ten years now you can buy the ten year bond if you want and there was a ten year bond available with this issue it's just at a lower interest rate than um, if you were to buy the the thirty year bond and then the taxable equivalent yield I don't run that off the IRR I just run it off the uh, the stated yield so I just wanted to notate that it's the same, right? Your taxable equivalent yield is the taxable equivalent yield for how that bond is pricing on that particular day, whether it's pricing to the worst to the call date or pricing to worst to the final maturity. Um, it's really where that coupon lies and where current interest rates are. So that's an example of working through a bond that I would buy and how I'm trying to thread that needle to getting the highest yield but I want to have the highest probability to be paid off on the first call date, but not actually have to pay for it. I'm going to play the interest rate game that we're going to have a, uh, uh, a, you know, a yield curve cycle where it becomes favorable to refinance it. And you have to remember that I'm also on my, you know, what I do for a living day to day basis. I work with school districts like this, monitoring this bond issue to figure out whether we can refinance it or not. So when I'm buying bonds, I'm looking at them and saying, if I was the financial advisor to this issuer, do I think that I'm actually going to refinance this bond or not? And I can look at it pretty quickly and tell whether or not I think um, it's something that I would refinance out or, or not. And there are a ton of different reasons why something might be opaque. Um, you know, is it 100% state paid? I mean, why refinance a state paid bond unless you know, that the state requires you to refinance it out? Um, is it, you know, your, uh, is it a hundred percent federal pay? There are some programs that were available during ARRA days where we issued bonds that were a hundred percent federal pay. Well, you know, my issuers aren't interested in paying to refinance a bond that there's no benefit to them. So, um, but mostly, uh, you know, bonds do get refinanced at least once in their cycle if there are 20 years. So that's an example of buying a bond that I would buy. Um, my second example is buying a bond that I would not buy. And before I go to that, which is called Muni Spaces Number Two, and it's the only other attachment that I have, Robert, is there anything that maybe is I need to back up on or go over again? 
No, you. That was a absolutely brilliant, very methodical way of walking through it. So, no, you're spot on. So, again, for those that are looking for the second example, just you know, pull down the nest there on the top, scroll over, or if you're looking listening to this after the fact on the podcast or what have you, go check out um, <clears throat> at B, B or you can check out my profile or our, our muni guys at BG Nurik and you are. ICK, uh, go to his Twitter profile and you can pull up those, those examples as well. Okay. So let awesome. And Brian, like incredibly, incredibly, incredibly educational. I just want to like, so thank you very much. For sure. That. Sure. I love this. Is just, it's a labor of love, labor of love. Okay. So, so I went on uh, fidelity today and I wanted to stay in Kentucky and, uh, I did my search criteria. And so the, the first, um, there's, there are four, um, little pictorials. So the first, uh, is what I looked at on fidelity and I sorted it by highest yield to maturity. And so as you can see here, this is a, um, Louisville, Jefferson County, Kentucky, um, Metro sewer district. It's actually a very highly rated entity. Um, you can see it's in the double a category on its own. Uh, it's been around a long time. Uh, they issue a ton of debt. They're actually very sophisticated. They have interest rate swaps on some of their bond issues. This is not one of them, but they are actually a very sophisticated issuer. And uh, so this is a bond that they issued. Um, uh, I, it's not on this page, the year it was issued. I think it was 2020 is when they issued this bond. So I, I highlighted and read two areas, right? So the first is the coupon. So the coupon is 2.25% as opposed to the last example, that was four, right? The maturity date is May 15th, 2044. It's eligible to be called May 15th, 2028. And it has ratings from Moody's of a AA3, S&P of a AA, uh, and then it shows the Moody's rating again, AA3. I don't know why they're showing the AA3 um, twice, but, but they are. Um, so this is a very highly rated credit. But when you look at the ask and you look at the pricing, right, these bonds are selling for 66.897 cents on the dollar. And that is a function of the 2.25% coupon uh, maturing in 2044, you know, roughly just call it 20 years from now, versus current interest rates today. It is a depressed coupon uh, because interest rates have risen. And so when you price it to the worst, and you price it to maturity, it's the same, 4.75%. Well, why is that? That's because in today's interest rate environment, the probability that this bond issue gets refinanced is zero. Like, it's just zero. It's just a zero. It's not a zero like Mike Taylor likes to call zeros or, or uh, Mark Cahotas likes to call zeros, but the probability that you're going to get paid off May 15th, 2028 right now is zero. And that's why the bond's pricing at 66, around at 67 cents on the dollar. And that's why the, the yield to the maturity is 4.75%. But I kind of look at this bond as fool's gold, right? This is a bond that I get DM'd a lot about. They, Brian, I found this bond. Look how, look at it. It's, it's this very high yield to maturity. But the thing that they're not doing is they're not working through the spreadsheet to look at the cash flow. Because if they did that, they would uncover a few things. So let's go to the second um, picture, which is the cash flow sheet. 
So um, here, this is a bonds in the secondary market. And so I just chose that we would settle it tomorrow. So the settlement date is March 31st, 2023. It's in that box. The par amount's $100,000, but it's on sale, remember? It's, we only have to put up 66.897 cents per thousand. So total out of pocket's only $66,897. And so same thing as we did last time, except at a coupon of 2.25%, putting up less money granted, we receive a, our first interest payment on May 15th, $281, and then thereafter we receive $1,125 uh, every six months. And we look at the cash flow stream all the way to final maturity, and we also look at it to the first call date. But remember, the probability that this bond issue gets refinanced at the call date today is zero. So let's go down and, and look at the same statistics, the internal rate of return. This bond going to final maturity in 21.6 years uh, is an internal rate of return of 4.758%. And that includes the difference between buying it for roughly $67,000 and getting $100,000. That is a capital gain. That is not tax-free. So that is... Number two is... Nobody in their right mind is going to sell you a bond that's going to be paid off at the call date that's going to kick an internal rate of return of 11.124%. Like that right within itself should tell you that in 5.1 years, the chances that this gets paid off early is a zero. And that's just where the market is. Now, if, if we go to Japanification, yeah, maybe, maybe you do hit the lottery here. And I congratulate you, but it's not a bond that, that I would be looking to purchase. And even when you do the taxable equivalent yield, the way that taxable equivalent yields are calculated, you can see that it, it comes with the same federal and state tax bracket assumptions. It looks like it's 8.19%, but that includes that big capital gain. So it's kind of not. And so that's why most retail investors like to buy bonds that we call parish, right? They kind of price right in that uh, 100%, 100%, 100% um, par, you know, 99, 98, um, 101, 102-ish. That's really kind of the retail sweet spot uh, where everything is a little bit easier and a little less opaque. So what I did here is on the left-hand side, I put capital gain, right, $100,000. You paid $66,000, $67,000. You've got a, a capital gain of $33,000 a year. And that's there, there are some articles when you read about municipal bonds that will say, you know, like bonds doomsday. What they're really referring to is this bond. It's the, it's the unknowing investor that buys this bond and doesn't realize that they're going to have a capital gain, that it's not 100% tax-free to them, um, or federally tax-free and, and maybe state tax-free. And then the other piece is, right, is just most people buy bonds for a purpose, which is to, to live off of or have that income to then reinvest like a drip strategy into a risk-on asset. We've talked about that before. I've posted about it. So if you put up $66,000, under the current income, bottom left, and you receive $2,250 uh, a year, you know, your current income is really a 3.36%. And as opposed to the bond I like to buy, mine's more in that 4% area because I paid 95, 96 cents on the dollar on the first example. It's actually a little bit more than four, but for, you know, make it, make it simple, simplistic. You can see that you know you're really not getting 4.75 in 
in current income. Most of that 4.75 is actually in that capital gain that you don't realize until, you know, 21.6 years from now. And, you know, depending on your age, you might be dead. You know, I'll be, I'd be 72 years old. I don't know where I'll be, but that's quite a long time from now. So, you know, buying municipal bonds and, and then looking at the cash flow stream, you start to get a little bit of a different picture about how this impacts your life. You know, what, what role does this play in your asset allocation? Is it, you know, a small amount? Does it have no role? Does it have a large role? What do I need to do, do or want to do with this money? And as you continue to build cash flow after cash flow after cash flow, if you get up to, say, five or ten and you aggregate them, now you have a portfolio and you, you can manage that portfolio. So um, the last two pages are just the official statement. So you can see, um, you know, what the bond issue is. It was issued in 2020, you know, during QE. And uh, I highlighted the, the bond on the, um, the last uh, pictorial, which is the, uh, the table that shows all the maturities, the coupons and the uh, prices and the yields. You can see exactly what bond is available for sale on Fidelity in the secondary market. I pulled this official statement off of the Emma website. So Emma is a, a great website for you to go on. You could actually go and look on Emma and, or there's a link on Fidelity to it. But you could see the trade that occurred at what the dealer that's selling this bond on the platform, what they bought it at and what their markup is. That's how transparent uh, Emma has made the world of municipal bonds. Most people never take that step. They never say, oh, well, this bond's being tr- available in the secondary market. What did they buy it at? Right. And you can start seeing like you'll see a lot of times somebody sold it for a ridiculously low price and then it's being resold at a much higher price. And the, the dealer is going to make a lot of money. Um, there are some fair do- dealing rules that take place. But, you know, just looking at that and understanding it will make you a better retail investor um, in terms of buying and selling bonds and just kind of knowing, you know, what appropriate levels are. Uh, in the secondary market. So this is this is the fool's gold example. This is the example of a bond that I would not buy because I don't want to buy a, a 21.6 year bond, uh, get current income that's only 3.36% to you know, do fun things with, let's say, and then on top of it, have a capital gain at the end. Um, but you wouldn't know all of that unless you took the time to create the spreadsheet. So I just cannot stress it enough that creating the spreadsheet is a critical step. It's, it's equivalent to the notebook for Edge Eye. I mean, you just have to do it. So, Robert, that kind of concludes my um, what I wouldn't buy example. Totally. And uh, I pinned a tweet from Coop, uh, who's a good friend of ours, and Ray Brian. And his, his, I, I liked his tweet because it's my exact same thoughts, which is uh, didn't even think of cap gains as opposed to zero taxes. And, and that example is just a prime and uh, perfect example of how, you know, to your point, like, you know, regard, you know, whenever they end up calling that, you're going to have this huge cap gains component that you're going to have to deal with uh, that absolutely morally screws up the uh, whatever, you know, return on the investment that you thought you were going into if you didn't do the, the math and the work um, as, you, as you stated, Brian. So, yeah, super. Helpful. Exactly. So if it's okay, um, Robert, now that we've gone through a bond that I would buy individually and a bond I wouldn't buy, and I live in Kentucky, we have a state tax, so that's important. If I lived in Texas or Tennessee where we didn't have a state tax, I could buy bonds anywhere in the country because there's no state tax. 
Um, you want to talk a little bit about funds and ETFs? Yep. Um, so yeah, let's do that I am. And, um, yeah. Okay. So um, a lot of people that you know DM me or reach out to me, you know, they don't have uh, they 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 have a fixed income need. They immunity bonds do fit a, a a role for them, but they don't have enough to really go out and buy a, a hold a maturity portfolio. Uh, and it just doesn't make sense for them. So uh, I'm not a big fund or ETF um, type guy because of the credit quality. But um, I've done a lot of hunting over the years. And I kind of have a, a couple funds, one new, one old that I like. Uh, and um, it's just some, some things to think about. Uh, the first is, is that, you know, most close-in funds in particular run off leverage. And so every Time I get on the, the weekly notebook review, I talk about the SIFMA rate, that seven-day weekly rate bond, sorry, weekly rate tax exempt um, rate that comes out. That's what they use to leverage bonds. So they buy a 5% coupon bond, and uh, their cost of capital is SIFMA at 2%. There's a 3% spread, and they pass that back you know, through the fund to the investor. But that doesn't come without risk. And so leverage is great during QE, but leverage is not so great during QT. And, uh, you know, there have been a lot of discussions on the notebook review about, um, you know, closed in funds getting crushed. Uh, the, that 2.25% bond, I would guess, was probably in a fund at some point. Might have been part of a, a, a tender option bond, TOB leverage. And they had to, uh, to tax harvest it last year and get rid of it because SIPMA went up and they needed to get something new and needed to get a 4% coupon bond or a 5% coupon bond. So, um, so I don't really like leverage, uh, unless I feel really strongly about, you know, where the federal reserve is and where SIFMA is going to be pricing at, um, to take advantage of leverage because leverage can be your friend if it works right, but it does come with risks and you need to be sure you read, uh, what those risks are. Secondly is the credit quality. So that essential service, you know, the three out of nine categories that I like to focus in on when you look at the portfolios, of these funds, you're going to find like you, 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 toll road in you know, some state and you're going to be thinking to yourself, like how does a toll road going to do in quad four when someone can just drive around it um, or a hospital or Puerto Rico? Uh, you know, there's going to be all these different credits that you would never in a million years buy on your own, but they're in these funds and granted they're, you know, have a lot of positions and it's diversified, but you know, when you look at just your generic old school bond or your generic old water and sewer credit, uh, there, there, there are less of those than there are, um, you know, these large authorities or um, MTA, uh, which is the New York sub, sub, subway. Um, you know, th- those seem to always kind of find their way into these, uh, into these funds. So I don't typically like the credit quality in the funds for, for starters. The, the second piece is duration risk, right? So if you buy a CD that's two years, you know in two years you get your money back. If you bought the CD last year at 3% and current rate's five, yeah, your CD is worth less, but it doesn't really matter because you're holding it to maturity and you're going to get your money back. The same thing goes when you buy a municipal bond and you hold it to maturity. You know, as long as it doesn't default, you're going to get your money, buy, your money back. So the duration risk is a piece that a lot of people like to avoid. They don't want to, they don't like the, the duration piece. So most funds, right, they're a never-ending fund. They, they go forever. Uh, but there are new funds out that are target term funds. So the target term kind of started in the 
equity space for retirement portfolios, and then it's moved into the fixed income space. And so I've narrowed things down to kind of two funds that I like um, when I have to buy a fund. So the first one is the ticker is MMIN. MMIN. It is a um, it is a mass mutual. Um, I'm sorry, I think it's mentioned life um, uh, fund, but the key characteristic of the fund is that it only invests in insured bonds. So the, um, the nice thing about only investing in insured bonds is that the insurance company has underwriters that do the credit analysis. And they are not going to buy credits that are bad credits. And a lot of the insurance companies that uh, did not survive the financial crisis because they invested their premiums in uh, mortgage-backed securities that were AAA that turned out not to be AAA. You know, there's a lot of uh, lessons that were learned during that period of time. And so the underwriting standards, uh, being on the side that goes to them to ask for bonds to be matured, uh, insured, they do a very, very good job at, um, at uh, screening the credits. And so um, this Mackay Municipal Insured Fund, ETF, only invests in insured paper. And by default, when you look at the portfolio, it is a lot of essential service credits. And so because of that characteristic, it's the only fund that I've found that invests in insured paper only, you sort of default into a lot of essential service credits. And being that the insurance is double A, a lot of the issuers, in order for it to make sense mathematically, are in the single A category. So they're a single A credit, they pay a premium for the insurance, they wrap the bond with the double A and it goes out to the market as a double A rated piece of paper with an underline of single A and gets a better interest rate. So that's how um, that fund works in terms of credit quality. And, um, you know, you can research that fund and, and see if it's something that's appropriate for you or not. I've owned it before. I do not own it currently, um, but it's, it's a non-leveraged um, fund. The other fund is a target term fund, and the ticker symbol is BMN. Now, there is a sister fund. I talked about it yesterday called BTT, and it's a BlackRock product, and um, they, they buy credits that you know, I don't necessarily love, um, don't necessarily hate every credit that's in BMN. There's 81 um, credits, uh, 81 is- issues in the, uh, in the portfolio. And uh, it's a brand new fund. It actually started at the end of last year. And the great thing about it starting at the end of last year is that they couldn't leverage it. So when you read the prospectus, it talks all about leverage, goes through all the disclosure on risks of leverage, but they didn't leverage it because they really kind of couldn't, right? SIFMA was too high, uh, didn't make sense to take on that risk. And so it's currently yielding 4.5%. It's the current distribution rate. Um, we've gone through um, a lot of the credits, and they're kind of normal credits. Some I don't like, but again, there's 81 of them, so it's pretty diversified. And, uh, and the duration risk is, is, um, is uh, mitigated to a degree because it's a target term. So in September, I think it's 2037, uh, September of 2037, their goal is to have issued each share for $25 and to then redeem each share and close out the fund for $25. And that's the same thing as BTT. The difference is, is BTT is running on leverage and is trading at like $21 and change, $22 a share. 
And, um, you know, I've got some concerns about that fund because of the leverage piece. Well, here you just happen to walk into a fund that is supposed to be leveraged, but it's not because of the current um, interest rate climate. So um, I actually have a position in BMN. I'm not recommending it to anybody. Um, if it's something that, you know, you fit that profile, talk to your fiduciary or your trusted advisor and, and they can, uh, you know, make them aware of it. And maybe it's something that they, you review together and it's something that, that, that is, is appropriate for you if you're looking to get in the municipal bond space. But those are kind of the two funds that I um, focus on. And the best thing about funds, right, you can kind of buy and sell them every day. Um, they may not be the most liquid product. So you can put a bit, you can put a bit out um, or an ask out and it might take, you know, all day for it to hit or a few days for it to hit. Um, but it's more liquid than owning an individual bond. And then you have diversification, right? You're owning an um, a, a, you're, you're part of a consortium that owns a lot of different credits and you're relying on those managers that get paid a fee to screen those credits and make sure that, you know, you're in credits that make sense for you. Um, but they're not state specific. So they do break out, um, the percentage of, uh, you know, exposure they have to each state and, you know, uh, BMN I know is about 17 to 18% in New York. So if you're in New York and you buy a BMN, you know, a portion of the of the um, portfolio is going to be exempt statewide. Whereas, if you're me and I do own BMN, I I assume I'm going to get zero you know shelter from Kentucky state income tax. So um, so that's kind of it on the um, the fund side uh, in terms of what I look at, what I see. Again, most of the funds that I see when I go through the holdings, they just don't meet my underwriting criteria of essential service, education, government, utilities. They're kind of all over the spectrum. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and I wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at Hedgeye, The Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study, measuring and mapping time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data-driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com slash research to subscribe. Robert, does that, did I do a good uh, yeah. enough job on that? Yeah. Bland enough? Ryan, you've done a great job. <laughs> And the, uh, just for, again, just for those that are looking forward, I actually posted his notes uh, from the weekly notebook review up in the nest as well. And uh, that actually runs down. It uh, gives you a brief synopsis kind of what, what you just talked about in regards to those two funds. Uh, BMN, I, or I just pulled up and I was trading right at 25 spot 01. So if you're going to, if you're going to uh, uh, get it back at 25, it, again, just, just a good thing to have on your radar. Uh, and as you pointed out, Brian, like it could be a good diversification. But, uh, it pays monthly. I forgot. Well. Those, both those funds pay monthly so as I've opposed got, to semi-annual. So that's another feature that a lot of people like. Yeah. Yeah. That was the other thing, too. I saw, yeah, BMN puts out like a nine, nine cent dividend uh, approximately um, on the mid-month, which uh, is always of interest as well. But uh, all right. So I've got about 20 minutes left, uh, 25 minutes before uh, we hit South Station here. And so why don't we open it up to maybe a question or two for the crowd. If anybody wants to jump up, we can go that route or, or we can also, uh, you know, we have one other subject that I think we wanted to Yeah, hit. kind of where, so where to hunt, where too. to look for. But I'll just see if anybody. Yeah, exactly. So I'll, um, actually, you know what? 
I, I apologize. I'm going to keep the questions to probably. Oh, here comes Jason. All right, we'll let Jason. We'll let Jason come up. If you aren't enjoying this, I don't know. This has been phenomenal, Ryan. So thank you again, uh, Jason. Welcome to Hedge on Friends Muni Bond Edition. Hopefully, you've been enjoying this conversation as much as I have. Yeah, I have. Uh, thank you for hosting in, and, and Brian, pleasure to listen to you. I don't know what it is about that part of the country. Mute, there's a lot of muni specialists out there. I, I worked a lot with Finding Sparks over the years. They're, they got absorbed by um, Stiefel, yeah. and they were, yeah, they were always a pleasure to work with. Very knowledgeable. So mm-hmm. I, I should probably take a trip down there. I'd learn a lot about or out there. I'd learn a lot about about munis. Um, question: I, I saw a definitive screenshot in the uh, nest and i'm wondering um i just saw it so i'm i use bloomberg to buy munis for our clients um i work with some dealers i'm wondering if you use refinitive to um purchase purchase munis at all and what and what the dealer network is like on that platform that is a great question so um actually our subscription I call it TM3. So our subscription to TM3 is to get access to the MMD so that we can look at the, you know, the AAA scale for the day. We can look at the, uh, the early, the mid, and the uh, final read of what's happening in the market. Uh, when we get audited by the SEC and it's a negotiated deal, they ask if we, um, you know, on, on behalf of our issuer, if we're tracking MMD and spreads and making sure that our clients are receiving fair market value. In the platform, I get access to the Muni Center. And so the Muni Center is a platform that dealers trade secondary market bonds. And so that's what you're kind of seeing is I went, I actually go in there and I have a search uh, parameter that I go into and I can find bonds that are listed there. But Fidelity's website actually links to the Muni Center. So t- sometimes I'll go to my search in uh, TM3, I'll see the QCIP, I'll go to Fidelity, I'll just paste the QCIP in and I'll, I'll click on it and the bond will show up and I'll bid it. So, um, so what you're seeing is me uh, going to the Muni Center, but Fidelity actually has a link to the Muni Center. You just don't see it under that platform. Does that make sense? So, so yes. Yeah, so, so it sounds like the platform's growing then? Uh, yeah, I think... Um, you know, it started with uh, MSRB and Emma, right? That, that was a big undertaking. And uh, with that product, um, you know, the, the people are getting more savvy. And, and you've got, uh, like when I'm selling, when I'm taking deals to market, in particular uh, negotiated deals, SMA accounts are becoming a huge buyer of bonds. So you've got, you know, um, you know family offices that have very sophisticated people that are looking at both taxable and tax exempt investments and they're buying, you know, what makes sense for them and putting in bids where, you know, normally they wouldn't even get access, but the platforms and technology have expanded to where they have much more access than before. I have a follow up if it's okay. Um, Robert, if you don't have any objection. Um, no, no, we're going ahead, Jason. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm thinking, I, I think about, um, the probabilities of like some kind of market event or dislocation with vol and fixed income at like super high levels. I also look at muni treasury ratios that I think were pretty rich coming into the year. And I think 80, 90% typically represents a pretty strong sell signal for large institutions. 
banks, maybe, if you will. And with what's going on with deposit flight, I wonder if munis are in the crosshairs for maybe freeing up cash at some of these large institutions. Is that something that's on your radar at all? Is this kind of pie in the sky thinking? It's just, this is kind of some things that I'm maybe worried about as um, I, 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 I need to kind of be mindful of client capital. Um, so anyway, just your thoughts on that. And that's sure. kind of just your sure. opinion. So I'm yeah, gonna, go ahead. I'm going to answer it two ways. So the first is, let me answer it from the individual Brian, right? Like I'm, I'm buying bonds and so forth. So when I approach municipal bonds and I buy an individual bond, it's hold to maturity. So I really kind of don't care what happens the day I buy that bond and the day I get paid off, whether it's the call date or the maturity date. Um, so I'm not, I'm not managing like a portfolio um, from a trading perspective, right? So there's, there's trading rates and buying rates to me. The way I approach municipal bonds and that allocation is that money is locked up. I never need access to it. I want the income stream and I have a plan for that income stream. And I make sure that I size it appropriately. If I'm going to buy rates, I'm sorry, if I'm going to trade rates, that's going to be more on the fun side for me. Like I'll buy BMN, I'll take a position in it. And I really like the fund and I'll take the risk that um, it stays uh, very low fees because they haven't leveraged it to be able to take higher fees. And if they do leverage it, I hope it's going to be in the right environment and it's a good, it's a good money manager and I'm going to actually you know, get a higher um, payout than, than I am today. And I'm willing to take that, that, that risk. But again, that's a target term fund. So I'm not going to sell that fund at anything other than 25. So if the NAV drops, I'll just hold it. Like I don't have a problem holding it. I go into it on an, on an HTM basis as well. So if you're managing somebody's money and you're concerned on the liquidity side, like you're having to watch the NAV on them, um, I, the, the first question I would have is, you know, what, what is the goal and objective for those funds? Because I, that's not a position I would be in on an individual um, investor position. Um, I wouldn't put myself in that position. I don't, I don't buy rates that way. So um, the second part is as an advisor. So right now, and this is a really good timely question. So I've had three meetings uh, this year that they're all high quality credits. And uh, one of them's looking at a $90 million jail in a $40 million recreational park. One of them is looking at a roughly $100 million uh, detention, detention, we don't call them jails anymore, detention center. Sorry. I'm not allowed to call them jails anymore, apparently. Uh, detention center. Um, and uh, the the uh, other project is um, it's a really large bond referendum. It's a $400 million bond referendum that we're working on. All the credits are double A. And so I walked them through that during QE when they, when I brought bonds to market for them and we worked really hard on their credit ratings, they didn't really get that great of a benefit between a single A credit, right? I mean, you're in QE, you know, credit spreads are compressed, you know, 20 basis point differential, 15 basis point differential. It's not that big. In a distress environment, it's the opposite, right? Like the, the spreads widen out and they get to take advantage of everything. So I'm sitting here explaining to them why they have great governance, great management, and great external consultants. They're going to be able to take advantage of, of headwinds uh, that come their way. And it'll be just like 2010 and 11 where they got access to you know, falling labor prices, um, Following, you know, crashing commodity prices and crashing interest rates. So I kind of see it 
the opposite. Now, if there is a distress period, it's typically kind of short-lived, right? Because distress means people run to U.S. Treasuries first, and then munis become the value trade. Because, as you said, they spread, people run the spread to Treasury calculation, and the default risk on essential service is just so low. It's not as low as the federal government, because there have been defaults, but it's extraordinarily low. So, um, so I, 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 I'm not trying to dodge your question. I'm trying to answer it in terms of like how I look at things from both prisms. Um, if there is distress in the muni market, like we saw in beginning of Q4 last year, I'm going to be like a predator on the individual investor side in the secondary market, buying up bonds at like a 490. Like I explained earlier, I bought, you know, a 50 block, a 75 block, and anywhere from a 460 to 490. On the issuer side, my issuers, they're not, they don't have to issue the bonds then. We can just wait, right? If I'm in a distressed period, I know that January is the slowest month of the year because nobody in government works in December. So they're not putting bond issues together. So I actually time bond issues to go the third or fourth week of January every year um, for my credits that you know, are, are in that position. That's when they need the funds and their, their management um, is willing to you know, position themselves to work and, and go through the, the process to bring a bond to market in a time that you know, they're mostly on vacation. Does that, does that help? So two, yeah, your thoughts are, yeah, your thoughts are always helpful. Uh, is it too soon for high yield munis here, given where we may be headed in, in the cycle? Um, so when you kind of default back to my essential service credits, I don't think high yield would make it for me, right? Um, uh, and I actually don't, I don't do hospitals. Um, I don't do nursing homes. I, I don't, I don't do things that can go, um, can default or become distressed uh, from a repayment perspective because it actually costs you a lot of money to manage headaches like that. So um, I stay in, like I said, the, the local government, uh, school, county, city, utility space. I don't uh, venture out in, into port authorities or you know, um, transportation, toll roads. I just, it's just not what I do. Not something I enjoy doing or um, do, do I do that? So high yield is really something that I don't play in that space and I wouldn't be a good barometer for you. Okay, I appreciate it. Um, Robert, thanks for, thanks for letting me to come up, uh, allowing me to come up. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. Uh, it's some great questions there and, and really good, you know, you just awesome stuff. So appreciate it. Brian, um, I'm unfortunately going to have to cut this one a little short. I apologize. You know, I, we could really be having this conversation for probably another hour. Uh, it's, the quality is absolutely spectacular. So thank you very much, Brian, for all your efforts and, and time and putting, putting together uh, your thoughts here for us. We'll have to do a uh, uh, session number two at some time uh, in the near future, but uh, thank you again, sir, for for um, yeah, for taking the time to educate Edge Nation. We greatly appreciate it. Yeah, just uh, kind of in closing, you know, uh, whatever platform you use, there's a fixed income section. There's always things to click on and read. Uh, I think you'll start to you know listen to this, and it'll start making sense of what you see. Um, you know, remember, you know, create a plan for your income stream as, as a vision. And then, uh, you know, I talk a lot on the notebook that I'm not really doing a whole lot in the equity side. I've spent my time creating the fixed income side where it's kind of set it, forget it, hold it maturity. And then 
um, you know, I'm looking forward to really getting active in, you know, quad one, two, and three on the equity piece and have this kind of behind me. So um, that's kind of how I'm, I'm approaching things. And, you know, everyone uh, has a little bit different process, but enjoyed the conversation. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, guys, we'll, um, we'll see you at a uh, weekly notebook review on Wednesday, 4.30 p.m. And they got a beginner's guide tomorrow morning at 11.30. So check that out if you're a subscriber. Again, appreciate your time, Brian. Jason, thanks for jumping up and, and asking some really high-quality questions. So uh, thank you. Hope you enjoy it. And we'll see you back here, back here soon. Don't forget to check out HedgeEye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at HedgeEye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by HedgeEye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.